0: If you look at the macroeconomics, that household formation is still outpacing household delivery. Like we still have more demand for housing than we have housing. And so I haven't seen a cycle where we've seen those be in kangaroo.
1: Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it our show aims to inspire you as you build a bragworthy culture of your own culture building is philosophical and practical and you'll find both discussed here grab a pen and a notebook we're about to drop some knowledge this episode is brought to you by fringe the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform with fringe you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Cassandra Rose.
2: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us once again on Brag Lovey Cultures. My name is Cassandra Rose, and I will be your host today. And I'm so happy to welcome Lucas to the podcast. Lucas, thank you so much for joining.
0: Hey, hi Cassandra. Thanks for having me. Great to be here.
2: Yeah. So on this dreary Tuesday on the northeast, but a very, very sunny day <laughs> in Arizona. Just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your journey to Smart Rent.
0: Yeah. Well, I like. It's hard for me to talk about myself. I prefer to talk about the business. But I'll give you a little bit about me. So I actually started out my career as a software developer writing code in the 90s for a website that would sell to apartment owners, people owned apartments. And I really didn't at the time know there was such a thing as an apartment industry or a multifamily industry or, or that I'd end up being a part of it. But I would, as part of my job, I'd go out and speak to these owners of, of apartments and they would tell me their stories. I'd say, how'd you get in? Sort of like you just asked me, like, how'd you get into the business or what's your background? And they'd say, oh, I bought a duplex in college and you know, now I'm flying around on my private jet. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good to me. So I actually left tech, the tech world, and went to be a real estate operator, and spent you know the next ten years owning apartments and self storage and being a fee manager for people who owned apartments that didn't want to manage them. When I came back to being a to the technology side, I realized it was sort of the perfect route to be in the place to start SmartRent, where I'd spent time both as a technologist, but more importantly, time as an operator and truly understood the apartment industry, the business we're in why we do the things we do. And I think it gave us a unique perspective on how to start Smart Run and how to build a platform that would really resonate with owners.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, Lucas, because sometimes someone, an entrepreneur of yourself, will look into the marketplace, see a white space and say, I may not have the tech skills to do this, but I know what the industry or I have the tech skills, but I don't know the industry. You're that rare combination of both. So what made you decide, I'm going to take this experience, especially, truly at the dawn of the internet age of coding and tech and everything else, and draw it into something that you're so passionate about and we're doing so well? And why in 2017, was that the deciding line for you?
0: Well, yeah, at the time I was the chief technology officer for a large real estate investment trust of properties. And I saw this opportunity around enterprise control of smart homes. That there was a lot of good hardware, Mm. but no one had really written an operating system to tie it all together. And that in your own home, that can be fine, a little frustrating, but fine. But if you think about trying to have thousands of different hardware devices and no operating system, it it falls apart quickly. And so actually before 2017, I'd spent more than two years talking to what are now my competitors at SmartRent and saying, why don't you do this? You know, they were pitching us and saying, here's our platform. And I was trying to tell them what they are missing. And I think we finally reached a point where we just got so frustrated that there was no one building the platform the right way that we just sort of felt like, well, I guess we're going to have to go do this ourselves.
2: And understanding the booms and busts of both tech and the real estate market, what were some of the things that you were thinking through as employee number one (laughs) at your company and how you were going to not just scale that, but actually solve the challenges that you were seeing in the marketplace so clearly?
0: That's a good question. I think we spent a really long time developing the platform before we released it because we felt like the competitive set had a lot of platforms that were partially completed and missing Mm -hmm. pieces. And we didn't want to come to market with sort of the fifth version of a pretty good platform that had some holes in it. And I think we knew that to get credibility because a lot of apartment owners, including myself as a CTO, had tried some of these other companies and been frustrated. So we knew that to have durability and to be able to scale, we had to come out with a, a much more mature product than you might think for your first for your first version. In the product management world,' talk about it MVP, a minimally viable product. And it was like we can't come to market with an MVP. That's where most people start, as they say, I've right. got a, a grand plan, but i'm I'm going to show you this piece of it first and get you going. And we actually spent a lot of time making sure we didn't do that. And I think that gave us early on credibility because we were a very small, very young company. And there were other competitors that had more time, but we clearly demonstrated a more robust platform. And I think that gave us some early credibility and that leads to durability.
2: Credibility to durability. I think that should be on a t-shirt. Feel free (laughs) to put it on the back of your swag moving forward. So just thinking through that, because what I'm really excited about your company is that thinking even the internet of things, right? Like you're creating Something that actually leads us into the future of how people will just live, how people will adopt into their living situations from something that sounds sometimes scary to other people. And I think other entrepreneurs or startups that are listening in to this episode, particularly probably have the question, well, how do you explain something that, again, just comes so naturally to you? How do you get curious about something? And then when you're solving the problem, how do you convince others of that credibility that you bring to the marketplace?
0: Yeah, I think curiosity is a great word. I think every successful entrepreneur that I've met is just naturally curious. I just think, I'm not saying that's a proclamation that I, I don't have any data to back that up. That's it's just my own personal study to say. And I remain curious. Like, I can't believe the number of rabbit holes I go down, things that have nothing to do with our business. But I think if you have that curiosity, that leads to you thinking about how you could solve problems. And I, I talk about this with our CTO. Like, I think the best engineers are those that are just naturally remain curious and think about how could we do this in a different way? How could we solve this problem in a different way? And I love the example of early on when I was working with our CTO, we were trying to do something in Excel, not coding, not anything, but just trying to do something. And we both spent more time working on a macro to automatically do this than it would have taken to just do it by hand, (laughs) like just go line by line by line. But I was like, that's what I love is like, no, but that's actually, to me, that's the better way to do it is to say, let's solve a problem versus Mm -hmm. just pound away at it. So I, I love that curiosity. That's a great thing. I think for anyone thinking about being an entrepreneur is to be, force yourself to be curious.
2: Force yourself to be curious. And so with that curiosity, you got your MVP out. That was above and beyond what most MVPs are. You started getting your first few clients. How did you start selecting the people to share your vision, those you would trust as the first five, 10, 15 at your company?
0: Yeah, well, it was a team that had been together for quite a while. So our co-founder, we decided to fund this, self-fund this, the two of us. And then we brought on a team of people that we've been working with already and knew and trusted and also other people from the multifamily industry. So for me, I think the important thing is, finding people who to solve business problems you've been in that business. You know, if I'm going to help a leasing consultant be better at their job, I should have been a leasing consultant. <laughs> I should know what that means. And across the stack property management, executives, uh, maintenance technicians, and so we put a high priority early on and we continue to put a high priority on hiring people who've been on that side and been in the industry. And I think that's not I'm not just mean that generically for multifamily, but any technology we're trying to solve a problem for a specific business or a specific customer set that having been on the other side is almost vital, I think. So that's where we started. We said, like, we're going to bring in people that we've worked with, that we know, and who we know their background. And by the way, every one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about is every one of those people is still with us today that we really have. We're going on coming over a decade of working with this team.
2: That's impressive because those first few employees really set the foundation of the culture of how you are able to scale the organization. So what would you say has been a highlight of that? What has been outside of being able to retain so many of that original set of people? What have do you say has been the highlight of being able to continue to grow a culture that's meaningful and add in benefits that actually support that growth?
0: Yeah, well, I think that as we've grown, I think one of the hardest things to do is to maintain culture as you're growing. And that it was actually pretty easy to have a great culture when it was five of us who all knew each other. And from person six to now to person 727, who will hire, make an offer to today, that it gets harder every time. And so I, I think it takes a lot of effort to think about how we stay connected. There's a lot of great benefits to being a public company, tremendous amount of benefits one of the downsides is it does limit how much you can share broadly. And so we have to think about, it used to be a way, I think early on we built culture by being completely inclusive, sort of everyone knew everything that was going on and that's great, but that's actually not sustainable, whether you're public or not, you just can't loop everyone into everything as you get to a certain size. And right. so I think we've had to continue to think about how we do the culture, but to me, culture is kind of an output you can't really focus on building culture. I've never felt that you can build culture. I think you can yeah. do a lot of different things than the output is you have a good culture. And so we've tried to think about, well, if we can't do all get together and have a potluck in the kitchen and talk about what's going on, what can we do? And to maintain that, a lot of what we've done is, is, I think two things, it falls into two categories. One is, I think the word for my executive team and myself that I like to say is humble, you know, that we're all people who, come from backgrounds where we worked hard to get to where we are. We sort of came from not much, and now we're maybe one step above not much. Not to anything where we want to be yet, but, <laughs> but we're getting there. And, and that anyone, and we have an executive staff meeting coming up, and that I love the fact that any one of those people could leave that meeting and go to an apartment unit and do an installation of our product. That we've always maintained that sort of player coach mentality. I spend a lot of my time with customers and out on the road. Our CTO, who I referred to, still writes code, even though we've got over 100 engineers now. Uh, So I think that's part of how you build credibility and culture is by being able to do it and being upfront about it. And then the other thing is we've always tried to go above and beyond with our benefits package and just make sure that people, I think that's how, as an employer, you can tell people I do care about you and and think about you. So for one example, is we provide, we cover the cost 100% of healthcare for every employee and all of their dependents so that, and it's a big expense to the company. Every year, it gets harder and harder for me to convince the board of how important it is. But I think to me, that goes a long way in actually saying I could get on a call every month and say, I value you and I think you're great and thank you for all you do. Or we also say, but also let's take something stressful like healthcare and make that not a problem for you.
2: I love what you said about how you can continue to add in inclusion into your organization without necessarily having to share all the information. Like you said, as a public company, there's just certain things that even if you would want to, you couldn't share with your company. Yeah. So if you could share with me some of the things that you're doing to keep that inclusion. And I think one component that you illustrated beautifully was that your CTO is still coding, that yeah. no one is above the work that they're supposed to be doing or that they actually have direct reports to do. So what other ways yeah. are you walking that example?
0: Yeah, I'm a big actions are louder than words kind of person. And so it's a lot of that kind of stuff. But I think we've had to morph into doing, we used to just do sort of more casual stuff. And now it's more prescriptive of how and when we share information, but also trying to make it still feel personal and real. And so we do these video updates where where myself and the team will do, do a recorded video and then share it with the whole company. And so we can control the content and control the message but it's not scripted. It's not reading off a teleprompter. So it still feels natural. It feels kind of like we're talking. We we do town halls. Now we've gone to a town hall where we can do that. I think one of the byproducts of COVID is this. We're now doing a lot of this on Zoom as we're talking today. And mm-hmm. I think that used to feel more impersonal to me anyway, I think, but pre-COVID, that pre-COVID, it didn't feel as good as in person. And now I think we've all become really used to it. And so I think that's helped us maintain a sort of a personalized culture because we can get 600 people onto a video call and, and still have that feeling for it. And I also would say, I think it's a work in progress. We spend a lot of time thinking about how could we be better at this? How could we do more around communication, around personalization? I don't think we necessarily say we've cracked the code. I think you never crack the code. It's ongoing and something you just have to keep focusing
2: on. Yeah, and, and just to make a correction, you said six hundred people. You have seven hundred twenty-seven as of today when that offer goes out. So yes. <laughs> you're getting that many people onto Zoom, but it's not it not does. everyone joins the calls. So <laughs>
0: <Sure>. <laughs> that's the delta there. Is uh, you know, I can't, I'll be happy when we get everyone on the same call.
2: Okay, call me that day. I'll uh, send you some a gift card or some fringe points for sure. So curious to go back to your point around COVID, right? We're now year three into this. Hopefully we're moving into a post-pandemic world where we'll have to live alongside it, but hopefully it'll be more like the flu. But I'm sure that was a dip, especially to your business. People didn't know what they were going to do next. And even if the next set of entrepreneurs and startups don't have a global pandemic to deal with, there'll be times at your organization where there are no easy answers, where you're not sure, How your 12 to 18 month or you know several years runway will be affected. How did you think about it as a founder? How did you think about it for your employees? What were the things that held you through that time to get to this other side?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there's a couple different vectors of that that I think about. I mean, one is I think what it's always hard. I saw this from my days in private equity with colony capital where it's hard to swim against the tide, right? And that we all are kind of going one way. And I think it's good to force yourself to kind of think about a counterpoint or a devil's advocate point And just whether you end up believing it or not, or going that direction, I think it's always important to do that. And so we did that when the world kind of stopped, when we were kind of shut down, we had just raised a round of financing. So we were pretty fortunate to say we had a good amount of capital, but everyone, we stopped installing because our process, we go and take hardware and. To get our software deployed, we have to go into your apartment unit that's occupied. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. there. It's your home. So I have to come into your home and spend time with you and install this product. We stopped doing that. And pretty quickly I had pressure from our board to say, Well, let's start. We have all these people on staff who aren't aren't doing anything. Let's cut them. And I think the most important decision we made is I said, Well, no because they're really hard to hire these people. They're, they're, they're incredibly gifted and talented people who do our installations because they're mechanical, they're technical, and they're personable. (laughs) And then to get all three of those is a, is a hard personality to find. And we said, no, I said, so we actually had them just helping out doing other things or just sort of with a go volunteer, go do anything and kept them on staff. And it was really only six weeks where we weren't working. And so if Mm. we had done the rash move and said, yeah, shed this cost and hunker down, we wouldn't have been able to restart. It would have taken us much longer to recover. Whereas six weeks of sort of lower productivity was pretty easy to absorb in the grand scheme of things. And when we could start going again and with new protocols of masks and UV wands and sanitizer, but we started the engine again, we were able to get, get going again right away. And so I think that was an important, good decision that we made to sort of hold the line and wait it out.
2: Yeah. And just in the conversation that we've had so far, you know, you talking about being an advocate of wanting to cover your employees insurance at a hundred percent, not just for themselves, but the loved ones that are also on the plan saying, you know what? Yes, we could cut people and that could cut costs, but let's just hold on. Let's make sure that we're caring for the gifted talent that we were able to already attract. Let's retain them. It just sounds like you have this guiding principle of if I trust my people, they show up for me and that shows up for the business results. How do you keep that guiding principle with the other things that trend? We know about quiet quitting, we know about the bid resonation, the reshuffle. I'm sure there'll be something six months from now. Like how do you continue that drumbeat, even though you know that you're swimming against the tide?
0: Yeah, I think it's not a it's an overused word, but I'll use it anyway, which is just it's at some level it's it's just faith that I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what the is ahead of us. But I know if I do the right thing today and make the right decision and follow your instincts, that it will be okay. And that to me is an expression of faith without trying to make this religious, but just saying that I know, make the good decisions, it'll be okay. And I think it's not always the easy decision, by the way, because we've also now implemented where I want people back in the office. And I don't think we're as productive working from home. That's not a popular thing to say, right? Like everyone's talking about work from anywhere and all this stuff. I don't believe it's going to be effective or I don't think it's going to be a long term. I may be completely wrong, but I would say I feel like we do much better work together as a team in person and that I actually think the work-life balance gets too marred working from home. I don't believe, and this is from my personal experience of working at home that I I didn't like it, you know, that it was, I think we're already with our smartphones and our laptops are already super connected to an office in a way we've never been or to work, I should Mm -hmm. say, not to the office. And I like the idea of saying, well, let's be at work and be in the office. And then let's not be in the office. Not to say we completely disengage, but at least we're doing something else. So I think some of it is, is not always just following the popular or following the trends, but really thinking about objectively, are we getting the result we think we're getting by putting this policy or putting this in place?
2: Yeah. And that's interesting because if we cast out to the future, again. COVID has shown us you never know exactly what's going to happen. Let's say three to five years out into the future, what else do you see? Because you're saying, I do believe that returning to office is the right decision for the company. Where else do you think either the tech market, the real estate market, your company in particular is going in these next three to five years?
0: I think, I do think there'll be a, a more of a return to office and less of a hire anybody anywhere. But I do think we'll be more open to that for the right exceptions. You know, that and there was one time where maybe we we're too far on everyone's in the office all day, every day. I mm-hmm. don't necessarily think we're going back to that. But that it, as a general rule, I think it's going to be better to have people in the office, but that we'll be more open to finding talent and maybe keeping talent that doesn't want to always come into the office so, as exceptions. Uh, the other trends I'm seeing that I think are interesting is, you know, it used to be a tech company. You had uh, internet, you had to be in the Bay Area. And then it was Bay Area, New York, and then there was some, you know, Austin kind of came under the market. Now I think you can have a tech company anywhere. There's incredible talent all over the place. Part of what I spend my time talking about is we're in the Phoenix metro area. It's an incredible talent base of technology talent, of software developers, of product managers, of designers. And it's not really on the radar. There's not, not a lot of marketing going on about the tech in Phoenix, but it's a, an incredible place to have a tech company. And I think there's a lot of places like Phoenix. We found another one. We acquired a company called SitePlan, and they're in Orlando, in downtown Orlando. And I'm guilty of this, but I think a lot of people who've been to Orlando have never been to downtown Orlando. And that was my case before I went to see SitePlan is it's sort of not just Disney and Epcot. And Orlando is another town kind of like Phoenix with an incredible amount of technology talent. And so, And I don't think those are exceptions. I think there's a lot of great places to have a tech company but I actually think you might see rather than just hiring people around the country, you might see tech companies start all around the country in different mm-hmm. areas.
2: And what would you say around real estate? What can we expect to see? What's a trend that's coming up for you?
0: <laughs> real estate is a beautifully predictable cyclical business. Like most businesses, the only thing you can't know is exactly when we're starting to move from one cycle to another. But so I think we've had over 10 years of really strong rent growth on the rental side. And on the for-sale, strong home price appreciation and prices going up. I think you're going to see us. We're already moving into that with the Fed raising rates. You've seen the the for-sale housing market really stall out, and I think you'll see rents start to flatten and maybe even retreat a little bit. But they've been they've just been growing so fast that it just sort of feels like that needs to happen. In some ways, it almost is. It, people are ready for it, expecting it. It's almost been like, where, when is this going to happen? And so I think you'll see a period now of, of contraction. But the uncertainty for me is around, if you look at the macroeconomics, that household formation is still outpacing household delivery. Like we still have more demand for housing than we have housing. And so I haven't seen a cycle where we've seen those be incongruent. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm hoping and being optimistic that because of that, it mutes the dip, that we have a flattening more than a dip. But boy, if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I would be on my <laughs> <eyelids>. <laughs> So, <laughs> But it's definitely going to be choppy and uncertain. For I think that we can all agree on that. We don't really know what the next few years are going to be like. And it could go either way.
2: Yeah, I can definitely see that both in my own portfolio and in mm-hmm. just trying to, what you said, beautifully predict the market. <laughs> so as we wind down, just a few last questions for you. Knowing all that you know now, your extensive experience in the tech world, in the real estate world, what would you whisper back to Lucas when he was getting started? What big major lesson have you learned during this time of getting from zero to over 700 employees, going public, all of these things? What's the one thing you would have told yourself?
0: Well, that's I've been asked that before, and I still don't feel like I have a great answer it's a really good question, but it actually, it sends me down a loop of thinking about, because I think there's a lot of things I, I could have said, but I think I probably would have said to myself, why did you wait so long to do this? This was, I knew years before we made the decision to do this, that we should be doing this. And that, that to me is, we could have been a lot farther along. And so I think that's interesting, hopefully for other people thinking about doing something is I thought about it way too long and should have just jumped
2: in earlier. That sound advice. And then on the other side of that spectrum, I think most people don't realize how lucky they are to work alongside a founder of a company. When we think about these other giants like Colgate or Pfizer, these are family names. These are companies that were started by someone who had a hope, a dream, and a prayer (laughs) and went and started something. So when you're no longer part of the organization, either because you're on your island, because you did your (laughs) predictions correctly or for whatever reason, what is the legacy that you want future you, employees at your organization to know about you?
0: I think now that's a new one. So thank you. That's a really cool question. I haven't actually thought about that. I think I've been so down in the weeds just trying to build it that I haven't come up and thought about that. But I would think that for me, it comes back to I want, would want people to know, not just myself, but everyone who was a part of this earlier organization, how humble we are and how grateful we are for the opportunity. And that that is a lot of things went right, both that we planned and that we had no part in at all to get to where we are. And so just to be open to the and humble about we got here partly by hard work and partly by things going our way or luck, if you want to call it that, and that we never took it for granted, that we really truly feel blessed to be where we are. And I think we're in the early innings of where we're going, but already it's been an incredibly blessed journey.
2: Yeah. And for me, that's a, a great way to end our conversation. So Lucas, if people are interested in learning more about your organization, learning more about how you're doing return to office, because a lot of people are on that fence. So learning more about that or anything else, how can they get in contact with you What's the best way to reach out?
0: Well, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn, of course, the ubiquitous directory of business. And then also, of course, Lucas, L-U-C-A-S at smartrent.com. Easy to find me. And I love to hear from people. So if I could be helpful to anyone out there, let me know.
2: Really appreciate your time, your insights. And again, if you make it to that island, which at this rate, I think you might, don't forget the other people whose (laughs) podcast you were on. Just kind of a reminder out there.
0: (laughs) I will heed that advice for sure. And I will see you there when I get there. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much, Lucas. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.